1: Hey there, everybody. This is John Donvan, and welcome to the latest take in our series that focuses on the quality of discourse, where what we try to get at is the question of how we're doing it talking with each other or not. And frankly, it's the not that is making this interesting These times that we're living in when people hold views that are so polarized that they don't even want to look at each other, much less hear what each other has to say. And, of course, that's what Intelligence Squared U.S. is all about, by setting up a framework known as, well, Oxford-style debate with its own rules and an obligation of civility and the requirement that our debaters work to prove that they're right, not just assert their ideas but actually make an argument for them. We do see opposing viewpoints in the people who hold them actually talking to each other and interacting and maybe even learning from each other across some fairly complex and contentious issues. Well, today I'm going to be talking to an author and thinker who has given a lot of attention to the question of how all of us can try to think clearly on these hard issues – sort of um, how to debate with yourself on the way to figuring out what position you want to take on issues like immigration or poverty or affirmative action. Before we get to that, though, I wanted to tell you about September 13th. That is the start date for our fall season. I will be hosting that debate in New York City, but we will be live streaming in case you can't get there. It's a night that's going to be headlined by a conversation about America's best global strategy in a world of threats. It will feature General David Petraeus in conversation with my good friend, the military historian Max Boot. And right after that, we are going to go straight to a debate zeroing in on China and the question of China's rising influence and power economically and politically and militarily, with the question being should the U.S. try to contain that rise or get out of the way or do something in between. So that is September 13th in New York City. You can find details at our website, iq2us.org. Now, I don't know if you've heard yet of the book One Nation Undecided by Peter Shook, because it's one that we've been passing around at Intelligence Squared US. So neatly does it overlap with our goals of inspiring folks to think more deeply and to debate and to debate better. Peter's book, Uh, is an argument for thinking clearly. That's how he puts it. Uh, And it's also something of a how-to book on a variety of issues. He's got some intriguing insights, and so it is a pleasure to have him on the podcast. Peter Shook, welcome to Intelligence Squared U.S. Thank you, John. It's great to be here. So your book is called One Nation Undecided. Full title is Clear Thinking About Five Hardy Issues That Divide Us. I was going to say divide the U.S., that divide us. What was the impetus behind writing this book?
2: well it 's uh, very clear to me that uh, we don 't we speak past one another uh, we speak to ourselves uh, and uh, even when we speak to ourselves we don 't ask very hard questions of of our ourselves in the sense that we don 't want to test our our beliefs we 're comfortable with them, and that 's uh, generally the end of it and uh, I believe the issues that I discuss and many others are so complicated, involves so many conflicting values and and uh, empirical claims uh, and worldviews that um, uh, this is wrong and, and needs to be corrected.
1: I, your introduction, your first chapter actually is a bit of a manifesto on this question of um, how well-informed we are as citizens to debate these issues. And your your assessment of the present is pretty pessimistic. Just quoting from you, you say public debate on hard issues today is woefully deficient. Citizens do not yet know what they need to know in order to make informed decisions about hard issues. Let's start with some definitions. What do you mean by the hard issues? Uh,
2: by hard issue, I mean uh, those questions that are hotly debated uh, about which there's a great deal of d- disagreement, uh, much of it legitimate disagreement, uh, concerning the, what the relevant facts are, how to define the issue. Uh, what the trade offs are as between conflicting values, um, and uh, how to resolve those uh, those conflicts. Uh, that's a very rationalistic way of proceeding, and that's that's my game. Uh, I'm committed to it, so uh, I, I think that's the way in which we uh, can make some progress.
1: You talk about the term debate. You know, obviously, this is of interest to us because we do debates at Intelligence Squared U.S. in this very formal sense. But you make the point in the book, Peter, that um, actually. As a society, we are, in a sense, debating all the time, perhaps not at a level that you consider admirable, but, but that you point out that people are debating at their dinner tables and at work, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So tell, tell me what you mean by debate and public debate, and particularly when you say that public debate on hard issues is woefully deficient today.
2: Well, I mean two things. Uh, first of all, I mean an internal debate. That is to say, how do people go about making up their minds about an, a hard issue. Uh, and uh, I'm advocating uh, a a very rationalistic way of uh, trying to uh, identify the relevant facts, try to understand the conflicting versions of those facts, and then bring the uh, relevant values to bear, understanding that there are conflicting values and they're often legitimate uh, conflicts. Uh, so... Uh, at that level, it's it's a way of people making up their minds about what they think. But in the process of doing that, they need to listen to other people and they need to read what others have said, and uh, that uh, requires a, a suspension of belief, if you will, uh, in which uh, people are actually open to uh, those sorts of uh, uh, inputs. And in order to do that, you have to re- realize how hard these issues are in the first place, so that you should feel somewhat less certainty. Uh, in your views, than you probably do, and as I say in the book, I, I don't really care where people come out on these issues. Uh, as I said, there are there are legitimate uh, uh, viewpoints uh, based on uh, different versions of contested facts and uh, and different values and d- different uh, trade offs. Uh, but I do want people to think very clearly about them, and when they do that, uh, and they recognize how hard these issues are, then I think they will have more respect. Uh, for the views of other people who come out uh, differently.
1: What, what are the elements of clear thinking?
2: Well, first, first is to define the issue. Um, and to do that is very complicated. I have a chapter on – first chapter is on poverty, for example. And in order to uh, think clearly about poverty, you want to clarify what is the difference between poverty and inequality, uh, which are two uh, very important ideas that are often conflated – uh, then you need to uh, understand uh, how to define the uh, the uh, issue such as poverty. And there are lots of different ways of measuring poverty, and, and most of them are uh, not uh, not straightforward. Uh, then you need to think about the causes, and there are a variety of causes of uh, poverty, and I discuss uh, each of those. Uh, and then you need to look at what the existing programs are and how how effective they've been and then uh think about how we might reform uh those systems that are deficient and, and so i lay out the various uh, uh options uh, for policy reform
1: you know in our debates we have a the way that we structure our debates. In the beginning of the evening, we asked the audience to tell us where they stand on the motion. And, we, and we've actually done a number of motions that overlap with the topics you take on in your book. For example, affirmative action, we've twice debated whether affirmative action is um, actually meeting the goals that, uh, that its uh, proponents intended. We've debated campaign finance reform. We've debated immigration a number of times. We've even debated uh, the role of religion In public life with the motion, America is too damn religious, we did a few years back. And in all of these debates, in the beginning, we ask the audience, where do they stand on the issue? And they're given the option of being for the motion, against the motion, or undecided. And significantly, we often have a very large number of undecided uh, audience members at the beginning of the debate, maybe 30%, sometimes as high as 40%. And it always occurs to me that there's two ways to be undecided. One is that you just don't know anything about the issue um, or, you, or you're truly conflicted. You've thought about it. And the other part is that it's just a, des- a decision by the audience member on that night that I'm going to listen impartially. I'm going to listen to what both sides can bring. And I'm somewhat inspired by the, that assumption by my part and their impartiality to 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 whether to ask this question do you do you think that an impartiality is required to do the kind of thinking that you're talking about and by that i mean do you need to be willing to say i'm just going to go where the evidence leads
2: well it's a little unrealistic uh, in view of everything we know about uh, social psychology mm-hmm. uh, to expect that people are going to be blank slates by and large we've formed at least preliminary views about things uh, what is possible, I think, is that people understand how uh, very difficult these issues are, and that other reasonable people uh, come at those uh, with a different perspective and, and weighing the trade offs uh, and values differently and defining them uh, differently. That's about the best we can do. I think, is to try to inculcate that sense of respect uh, for other people who disagree with us and then try to understand what their arguments are and then finally make an assessment.
1: What's the benefit of that respect?
2: It it, uh, enables us to listen and to question our our beliefs and to uh, take a fresh uh, view of something we thought was settled.
1: You write in the book, A Perpetual News Cycle and Ubiquitous Social Media Inhibit Deliberation. Is the regular voter's ability to think things through harmed now by the perpetual news cycle and social media?
2: Well, I think it is, but it's, not, it's really not the news cycle's fault. Uh, it's not the media's fault. It's simply that we are uh, subjected to a welter of information and claims. Even when we only watch uh, MSNBC or Fox News, and we really have a craving to uh, to take a position and to and to uh, be committed to it, because we view many of these issues as highly moralized. there is especially among young people a, a very fierce impetus to uh, be, uh, be think of themselves as as upright, moral, righteous people in holding these particular views uh, without considering the fact that equally upright uh, moral people uh, are on the other side.
1: You you talk about a, a term you use, intellectual capacity objection. And what you're saying is that some people might look at your, uh, your call for people to educate themselves more, to read more deeply and think more clearly. And they might object that not everybody can do that. First of all, not everybody necessarily may have um, just the intellectual firepower. They may not have the time. They may not have the level of education. Uh, and I think that's a pretty that, that seems like a pretty powerful objection, actually, to what you're talking about. Not everybody can uh, is is going to be a student in your class, whose whose job at that time is to study these issues. Um, what what is the response to the objection, the intellectual capacity objection?
2: Well, I think the objection, as I as I say in the book, the objection is a is a legitimate one, and um, I guess the only uh, response uh, is that we need to do the best we can, uh, and uh, uh, different people will respond to different types of presentations and uh, and so forth. But the uh, the the greater their ability to um, process uh, information and to, and open themselves to uh, the array of values that. Uh, are implicated by a particular issue i think the sounder their uh, their resulting position will be but it is uh, it is a real problem in uh, in our democracy notwithstanding the fact that people are better educated than ever before at least in terms of formal credentials um so they we presume that they are better equipped uh to engage in in clear thinking the difficulty of these issues is is very daunting and so we have a an industry of uh, institutions like uh, intelligence squared and like our uh, educational institutions and like uh, much of our uh, uh, excellent media uh that has to try to distill this information in a way that is both faithful to the uh, to the evidence and uh, uh but not too not too complicated it's a very serious challenge
1: A lot of us have shortcuts to reaching the decisions about where we're going to stand on an issue that we may not even be aware of. For example, um, one shortcut may be, I belong to the Republican Party, and therefore my position on such and such is what the party says, because I trust them, because they've thought it out. Or maybe that mental shortcut is what your family's politics are. You're going to stick with what your family did or what your pastor is talking about. And... You're talking about each person individually doing their own work to make their own decisions. Most of us aren't doing it. Let's acknowledge that. What's wrong with taking those sorts of shortcuts? Don't they actually don't they actually have a meaningful sorting role?
2: They do. Uh, they do, and I'm not opposed to uh, uh, shortcuts. Um, party identification being a, a very important one, but uh, we also need to appreciate the extent to which uh, those shortcuts are often. Uh, oversimplifications, uh, ideologically uh, motivated, and uh, are in some cases designed to deceive us uh, or get us to stop thinking. So we need to factor these shortcuts into our thinking process, but also be skeptical of of them. And this is hard to do. None of what I'm suggesting is uh, simple uh, to do. But again, we have no choice except to try to improve the quality of our uh, democracy by improving the quality of our thinking.
1: If everybody were to undertake the uh, your prescription for, for clear thinking, which means doing some hard work, some hard reading, learning the facts, um, questioning your assumptions, et cetera, and everybody were to work with, off of the same basic material, is the implication of this that most of us would come to the same conclusion. Would clear thinking lead all of us to the same place?
2: That's a great question uh and i, I think the answer is clear uh no, it would not <laughs> um and uh, the reason for that, as I explained in the book, is that uh every hard issue is a uh is a mixture of uh value judgments and trade offs uh that uh, people can uh, can can make differently. Uh, even if they 're even if they 're agreed on the facts, but the best thing we can do, I think, is to try to understand the facts as accurately as possible and then uh, be explicit about what our trade offs are and uh, and then come out where we come out uh, so uh, I, I completely agree with your implication that we would not in the end all agree uh, that 's why these issues are hard issues um, because reasonable people can come out. At different points, but I think the the areas the the domain of disagreement would be uh, considerably narrower, and perhaps more important, uh, our uh, civility, our respect uh, for those who with whom we are engaging in thinking about these issues would be uh, would be heightened, and that we could certainly use in our current uh, social milieu.
1: It's an interesting thing about the Intelligence Squared U.S. debates. Um, we, we have a lot of contact with our, for want of a better word, our fans, including people who are listening to this podcast. But I meet a lot of them face-to-face after the debates themselves on the evenings in New York and the other places we do them. And I chat with them in the lobby afterwards. And the, and the one thing that really seems to excite people is they say, um, two things, is I never heard the other side of the argument put that way before, and I really got to think about Hmm. that. That's one thing. But the other thing is, it was so nice to see a tough conversation. And they mean tough. It It was robust, and it was rigorous, but carried out with such civility that in the end, the two teams could stand up and shake hands with each other. That there, that a mutual respect developed, and that's kind of that's one of the things that people say to me, is for them the real kind of secret sauce of Intelligence Squared U.S. and why they keep coming. So, uh, it, it's I, I find it encouraging that you're you have that belief that people actually reading through to the issues will stop the process of having to demonize their opponents just because they disagree.
2: Let me say one thing about civility, uh, because I've written elsewhere about civility. Uh, uh, and uh, it's of course an enormous virtue. It's a, it's an indispensable virtue in a democracy, or in a family, or in almost any other uh, setting. Uh, but uh, increasingly, I think people have used, ha- have demanded civility in situations in which in which they don't really want civility. They want the other side to to shut up. <laughs> That's uh, so true. And, uh, so when we, we invoke civility as, as a cardinal virtue, I, I certainly agree with that, and I'm, my book hopes to promote that, but uh, we need to be careful uh, how we, um, how we, what we mean when we speak of civility and, and whether we're trying to advance deliberation or actually shut it down.
1: Well, another corollary to that is very often when people say there should be more debate on such and such topic, what they really mean is the other side should be given more information so that they agree with me.
2: Yes, I I think that's true. We do uh, we do have a great deal of debate in in our society. Uh, as we discussed at the outset, uh, there are numerous settings in which people uh, discuss uh, issues with one another. But increasingly, we're discussing them only with people who agree with us, and uh, that's just a, an echo chamber. And uh, we're too self confident in our views. And if we reduced our self confidence uh, just a little bit, I think we would hear. Uh, much uh, that
1: uh, would enlighten us and possibly change our views. Peter Schuch's book is called One Nation, Undecided, Clear Thinking About Five Hard Issues That Divide Us. If you are a fan of Intelligence Squared U.S., consider looking into it. Like our debates, um, this book is about the value of facts and logic and critical thinking and being open to changing your mind. Peter Schuch, thanks so much for joining us on Intelligence Squared U.S. Thank you, John. And we would love to hear from you about this topic and also about this series of our podcasts that are looking at the quality of discourse. Who else do you think I should be talking with and about what? We'd love to hear from you via our website, IQ2US.org. And another thing I want to remind you of as we get ready to launch our fall debate season in a few weeks, IQ2US depends on the support of listeners. Please consider texting the word DEBATE to the number 797979, and you will get a link through which you can make a donation to help us to continue and to grow this series. Again, text DEBATE to 797979. All of us at Intelligence Squared U.S. would appreciate it. And that includes and I'm going to roll the credits. Robert Rosenkrantz, our chairman. Clea Chang, who is chief operating officer. Leah Mathow is vice president of programming. Jeannie Park is director of research and content development. Rob Christensen is our podcast producer. And I'm your host, John Donvan. Thanks, everybody.